If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello friends, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham. Um, Thank you for all your feedback, for your lovely comments, and for all of you who entered our competitions, competitions for Premier League tickets, thank you to Tagoya for those, and of course the Bose noise cancelling headphones, and we've got two new winners. Adam from London is walking away with those Premier League tickets to a match of his choice. And Becca has uh, become the new proud owner of a pair of Bose headphones. They are on their way to you now, Becca. And thank you for listening. Thank you for your comments. Keep them coming because we have got prizes to give away with every single podcast, which is very cool. Because you know what? Christmas just keeps on going well into 2020. Happy days. Okay, something a bit different this week. I am going to be chatting to a lovely, interesting, engaging person. That, of course, is nothing new. Not different at all, because that's what we do every week. But this time, it's a broadcasting rival of mine. Ooh. I'm, of course, talking about Lee McKenzie, who works for Channel 4 and the BBC across a number of sports. You probably know her best as a Formula 1 presenter. Reporter. So I thought it'd be a bit of fun to share some stories from the Formula One paddock and compare notes, if you will, with someone who I've shared the pit lane and post-race interview pen with many years now. So here she is, Miss Lee McKenzie. So this feels like the calm before the storm because... Not only is this the calm little pocket in the house, the only quiet room in my house, Lee McKenzie, um, and I have just squirrelled you up to the top floor to find it, but also because 2020 sounds like your busiest year yet. Yeah, I did say that I didn't necessarily want another year like 2016, which obviously you say, but you don't really mean because you want to be busy. But um, yeah, I've got Champions Cup rugby. I have Six Nations rugby. I've got Wimbledon, the Olympics, the Paralympics, oh, Formula One and W Series and Equestrian and lots of different things. It's all juggling for BBC and Channel 4. And it was always much easier when everything was just on the BBC. But now I do Channel 4 and BBC. Uh, instead of keeping everyone happy, I keep nobody happy is how I look at but it. Do you keep yourself happy? I keep myself happy because I'm, I'm very lucky to be 
in a position to go to these events and it's actually finding the time to prep I think a lot of people mm -hmm. that watch TV and things maybe don't appreciate how much work that you have to do mm -hmm. before you get to an event when you're at the event they look after themselves but actually in the build-up to an event that is when you are prepping so when I'm at Wimbledon I'll be prepping for the Olympics and when I'm at the Olympics I'll probably be prepping for the Paras as well the thing is, I, I, I totally agree with you because you kind of have to compartmentalise to an extent because you, you, you have to be in the moment wherever you are, but you also have to be giving the next event some thought. And so, yeah, can kind of be like, make your head explode ever so slightly. And for example, during the Monaco Grand Prix is the Champions Cup Rugby final. They're both on Channel 4. So do? I'll do uh, Monaco Wednesday, Thursday, go to Marseille, because it's just along the road, two and a half hours along the road. Uh, but it's along the road. So I then I present the rugby on the Saturday. And then uh, on Saturday night, I leave Marseille to get back to Monaco to do the Grand Prix on oh, the Sunday. Oh, my God. <laughs> All I, I want to know is, will we do the fashion show together on Friday night? We won't be able to. Why? Because I won't be there, I'll be in Marseille for the rugby. But when do you, you could leave on the Saturday morning. No, I can't. Or you could pull an all-nighter. Challenge Cup final is on the Friday night and Champions Cup oh. is on the Saturday. So we won't get to present the fashion show. And for anyone who's listening, any rugby player or Formula One driver, uh, no, don't bother me for tickets, rugby players, because I won't be asking the Formula One drivers. So that is all <laughs> we, that's happening. We if, are two minutes into this podcast and I'm already disappointed. I know, I'm sorry. I don't Damn know. it! Well... You that's could, a kind of that's that's a calendar highlight doing the Ambalage fashion show together. Last year we were struck by a massive wave on a boat. Remember oh that? That was terrible. God. We, the, if you can imagine oh. two people who are going for a dress <laughs> fitting at a fashion show get on a boat and we were you know pretending that we were fabulous and we got struck by the biggest wave mm. and we basically had to get off and walk through a hotel covered in seawater. Well, it looked <laughs> like we'd wet ourselves because it had gone right up into my crotch and it's kind of like insta life is real life yeah. because we would yeah we were kind of living the dream coming through the harbour and then just got twatted in the face by a load of and water as soon as you have to walk through that room where you're met by I don't know like 40 Amazonian <laughs> stick insect models and we literally looked like we'd swam there they, they just looked horrified they looked oh, absolutely horrified yeah they probably thought we were the cleaners or something <laughs> and actually some of those dresses wow wow probably revealed slightly too much do you remember? I, rem I remember. Um, yeah, there wasn't much material. <laughs> I don't think there was enough material. But then again, the girls looked incredible. But yeah. we, uh, you and You're I, talking about our you and I get on to. Yeah, I know. But we have to. We get in such a compromising position in these changing rooms where you're just. The whole thing is just bizarre. Mm. It's just a crazy experience yeah. working in that sort of world of fashion that you sort of dip into you see it from a completely different perspective yeah. and people are getting like you know limbs pulled to try and stretch into dresses that you know just aren't gonna fit they're not eating it's like unlike you and I who are like yeah. on a champagne diet trying to get into a dress <laughs> which is too small oh Monaco I do you know I will reiterate this for any listeners that haven't been before it should be on everyone's bucket list, shouldn't it? Yeah, I agree. And actually, I think that Monaco can be done in... And you might have actually done this piece for we Sky. In did. either the sort of like low rent way yeah. or the blow as much money as you possibly yeah. can way. So because, I did it with Ted. Yeah. And luckily for me, Ted got the low rent way. Yes, exactly. I got the super yacht. Boom. And Ted came in on a... Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, he came in on a train and then had to like go up the hill and camp and oh, yes, went to so a youth hostel. Yeah. And, but he loved it. Oh, he loves all that of sort of thing does. anyway. But yeah. I mean, I, you can do you you can do Monaco on a 
well, shoestring. shoestring. Yeah, you can. But you can stay in France and you can get the train and you can yeah. travel around like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an incredible... For people that moan about Monaco and say, oh, it's a boring race, you would never get that race created now. No. So we should appreciate it for the history that yeah. it is. And you yeah. get moments, you get crashes yeah. and you get excitement and you get, you know, different winds taking off people and, you know, people messing up pit stops as we've seen before. Yeah. So, um, no, I think there's there's something for everyone there. And obviously the drama of Daniel going around and hanging on with every fibre yeah. of his being for that win when he was like 25% down on power things like that that's and drama in itself defending the year yeah, before course, you know course, the yeah. year before I just remember sitting on the Sunday night in that restaurant where um, he was just so down um, and you know he had his friends there and they were like, getting you know boozy because that was the only thing he just had to escape didn't yeah, he he was yeah. you know it was there on a plate for him and it didn't work out yeah. the elation of them him winning that was just like it was full circle it yeah. was the perfect sort of yeah. way to respond yeah okay now we're jumping around a bit but I want you to cast your mind back and I want you to tell those who don't know about your background and why you got into mm. Formula One. Because of all the sports, and you cover a lot, and it's great, and your knowledge of sport is fantastic, but I think for the sake of our Formula One listeners, yeah. we need to focus on that. And I'd love just to regale some of the, the, <laughs> the good times, some stories from the paddock, things yeah. that you've done, um, uh, how we met, I remember. Yeah. And, um, and also then look forward to this year and what you think... Um, the fans can get excited about but first of all your dad really was your big influence in motorsport wasn't he but so so was it a sort of a foregone conclusion that that you would work in Formula One as well? Um, I don't know if it was a foregone conclusion about Formula One but I was so my father was a Fleet Street journalist and I was the annoying child that turned up at everything so not to go to school to brownies to sunday school uh, i had done wimbledon's by the age of 12 i'd done rugby world cup when i was 11 i missed about two months of school to go to that um i he only started doing formula one because somebody took ill and he went to do the mexico grand prix in 1991 i think it was and um, he just went to do that one. And I think he finished off doing them about four years ago. Um, he went to Ayrton Senna's funeral. He wrote uh, a book about Damon, a book about Nigel Mansell. Uh, so he was very much in it. The only way when someone, a parent is traveling like that to see them is to actually go to events. And you're good. You bring your kids with you to different events mm-hmm. as well. And, and that was... Um, a different world of Formula One when I was a kid going to events. So um, I would... S- you know, there weren't motorhomes as such. It was like one truck with an awning out the front and massive big barrels of free cigarettes everywhere. So I would just go filling my pocket with cigarettes You're and joking. things at the age of about like 13 and stuff like West and all these different things. And, and and you saw, you know, you could walk around, you could sit and go to dinners with David Coulthard. What an exciting person. How I'd love to meet him. And I was essentially, he's my boss and I can't get rid of him. Um, Michael Schumacher, all these different people. I was the annoying child, as I say, that turned up everywhere. Uh, you know, I would wash the dishes at Stuart at Ford. Um, and just because I was hanging around all the time. He only took me to quite dull places like Manicure and Silverstone, where you couldn't really get into any trouble. And then when I left school, went to university, I, whilst I was at university, I, I was working for Fawn. Bernie gave me a job. Um, my interview was, can you count from 10 to zero backwards in three languages? And I was given the job of PA when, no. when, when, um, when FOM was doing World uh, Feed and it had different channels that had like the pits and highlights channel. 
Um, so that was basically my job interview. And essentially, I couldn't really do their job at, at all. And I think back, I must have been a nightmare. Um, but, you know, I was there in um, 98 when DC caused the massive pile up and spawn things like that so um God, yeah I so I, I i went into it that way and then cut a long story short i probably worked in just about every genre of motorsport from champ car to dtm to f3000 uh indy car um you know I, I was a co-driver in three rounds of the world rally championship which i loved doing and it so it becomes it's not just a job, it becomes your lifestyle. And people like Nico Hülkenberg and Sergio Perez, Valtteri Bottas, these guys all used to live, we all lived within two streets in Oxford. So we all knew each other. We would travel to the races together. I was doing PR for some drivers as well. Um, so, you know, I have known them way before. We, they got to Formula One. Um, so, you know, I first knew Nico Hülkenberg when he was 17 in A1 GP. Uh, so you get to, you get these relationships oh, yeah, with drivers. Yes, yeah, so I did A1 as well. With Georgie Thompson. Yeah, Lovely so Georgie. I did host and Georgie Thompson presented it for Sky. That's so right. um, that's still probably the best job I will ever have, which is probably why it doesn't exist anymore, because I think there was probably about as much partying as there was driving. Um, Jos Verstappen drove for Team Netherlands, and that is when you feel ancient. Wow. When you've actually interviewed, when the dad is driving, albeit he was pretty old and at yeah. the end of his career uh, and now you're interviewing his son that never fits well wow. <laughs> so is it case of it always being part of your dna i mean it's funny because when i when i look back my interest in it always came from trying to hang out with my brother because mm. it's what my brother wanted yeah. to do to spend time with him it sounds similar kind of thing with you and your dad but did you just always have a passion for sport and were you sort of following the sports that he followed so that yes. you could be together? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to, uh, I started off going to rugby and I was working for a local newspaper when I was 15. I used to get a Monday morning off school to write the rugby column. I mean, which rugby player uh, in their right mind was going to be interviewed by a 15 year old girl? But in fairness to them, they did. Wow. And I used to write, you know, uh, however many words they needed. And I had an equestrian column horsing around with Lee McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> definitely googling that exactly. after yeah I, I, I think that was uh, probably ungoogleable it was so bad um and then i went to uni and i continued I, I never worked in a bar never worked in a cafe or anything like that i just wanted to be a journalist and sell stories and a written journalist and i think it's a funny thing because um journalist and journalism gets a it's seen as a bit of a, a, a grubby a bit murky. Uh, yeah a bit mm. murky and a bit grubby but it's not if it's done properly mm. it's not and most important kind of medium in the world in many ways yeah without it what would we know about well the world? and i think particularly now when there's so much about fake news to find mm. actually well written journalism mm. and it doesn't matter if it's uh, on newspapers radio or television i think when something has been researched and looked into deeply and can convey an opinion um, or, or sort of or give the facts and then you at home can convey the opinion. That is good journalism. Mm. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying that journalism isn't a bad thing. Mm. Did you always know it was going to be sport, though? Because No, I covered the Lockerbie okay. trial. I covered oh general God. elections. I covered the opening of the Scottish Parliament. So I was always told by my father, I just wanted to, I didn't want to go to uni. Uh, I wanted to but you be. You did, though, didn't you? I did. Yes, yeah. I was forced to. Uh, and also, I was seventeen when I left school because I was young for my age at school. Mm. And then I went. 
and I was told to be a good sports journalist. You needed to be a good journalist. And it's funny because at the time I was so annoyed. But when people write to me or come to me or I go and talk at, you know, universities or wherever, I always say that, you know, there are a lot of sports journalists, a lot of F1 journalists who are crazed fans. Mm. And and sometimes like, you know, you, you can get caught up in a moment. I'm not saying that I'm beyond that, but you should be dispassionate. Mm. So if you go and sit in a court and you're court reporting on, you know, petty theft or murder or politics or anything, you have to be unbiased. Mm. And I think that's a hugely important thing for sport as well, that you should be able to um, stand back a little bit and appreciate what you're part of Mm. and not get too caught up in a moment. I think a good journalist would be a good sports journalist. A good journalist would be a good political journalist. Mm. And that's what I always try and aim for. Because you can hone in on the story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes you get it right and other times you don't. And that's fine. But there, I, I think um, that's what I always try and aim for. Do you know, it's funny because um, sort of following that theme, some friends that have worked in sport for a long time have said, actually, it's taken the fun out of being a fan of that sport yeah. for me because you have to look at it through a different lens. Yeah, the only one I didn't really fit well with, which was strange, was uh, horse racing in many ways because I after I did news I went and worked for at the races I think when you've done when you're sort of in your early 20s and you've done the Lockerbie trial and you know I remember when the lock the the plane came down over Lockerbie I don't live too far away from that my father was sent uh, to cover that and he came back you know on Christmas Eve stinking of aviation fuel I always remember that as a child because he'd been part of that and and so it was quite cathartic to then do the the actual trial mm. and go to Camp Zeist and, and, you know, have to report on it for a long time. It did feel like, again, it was like coming full circle. Mm. Um, but it's uh, the only one, really, the only sport that I didn't quite get to grips with, and it's probably one of my favourite sports, was horse racing. Mm. Because when you're covering it, when, when I left news to go to at the races, you know, you're covering in the summer five, six, seven race meetings a day, you're in a studio and it was betting, betting, betting. And I'm a patron of World Horse Welfare. I love um, my horses. You know, I come from an equestrian background. I have horses um, and I love sport and I don't think the two things should be exclusive. I'm, I I think that horses should race but and I want them to race safely but I don't get overly excited about the betting element because I actually love the animals so much and I found that was uh, that was a hard sell for me and it was um and I left it in the end and I went to motorsport but I think that's really been the first time where I thought actually I just want to be a fan of this mm. I don't want to talk about it all that's the time I just really want to be a fan of it and has it ever taken your edge off your passion for F1 because uh, you know well, certainly in my first year at Sky, doing all the races yeah. is pretty full on. And actually, they kind of start blending into one. Mm. Sometimes it's quite nice to come out of it and go back in and sort of take stock of, of what you're witnessing because it is phenomenal. You don't ever want to take it for granted. I completely agree with that. You know, I think there was a time 2016, 17, I think it was during 2017 when I was doing a lot more sports for BBC and Channel 4. And I thought, um, I cannot sustain doing all these races and extra stuff and I wanted the variety because I think you learn a lot from having that variety you can take the good bits uh, from interviewing I don't know Roger Federer Usain Bolt into interviewing Lewis Hamilton and I think there's quite a lot of respect that goes back and forth for that but it's interesting and I hope people listening to the podcast don't mind me saying this but I think F1 fans are quite tribal and they don't necessarily all follow other sports. No. Now that's not a blanket 
you know, sort of presumption. Obviously, people will follow other sports, but on the whole, a lot of F1 fans follow F1 full stop. And when you step back from doing every race like I've done and like you've done, people seem to be angry. (laughs) People say to me things like, you know, you're not on TV anymore. And I was like, well, I was on television 38 weekends of the year last year not even my mother could be bothered to watch in the end and she's the only person that would sit down and watch me all the time um and they're like well you don't do programs I watch and I said well that's fine it doesn't mean to say that my career has faltered and it's really interesting when I go to F1 now um I feel much fresher and I think Mm. I'm actually better Mm. and it's what I laugh about is that you become such a novelty drivers come up to you going hey my goodness I haven't seen you for ages (laughs) you've been so busy I've seen you done this and I think god I should have left years ago they've never been that nice to me you know it's um it's a nice balance you know I'm gonna do um you know five six next year I'm gonna be involved in every program um, but I do think having stepped back a little bit, and I don't know if you feel the same, when you get to an event, you're just not constantly tired or mm-hmm. jet lagged and, and you can go into it with fresh eyes. Yeah, and you're definitely energised and excited because you're back in the paddock. You go, this is mm. the coolest place on earth. Absolutely. I mean, it is unbelievable when you look around you and you take it all in. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think jet lag has a lot to answer for, doesn't it? But um, in terms of the races you're doing, how do you choose those? How do you balance out which other sports you do? Because it sounds like a logistical nightmare. It is a logistical nightmare. So we started off, in fact, I was doing this last week with uh, Channel 4, that I said I'll send them five races. And I think I sent them six and I was all excited so about these. So you looked at your diary and you went, yeah. these are the ones I could potentially do. Yeah. yeah, so Australia, for example, clashes with Six Nations. Um, and Cheltenham. And Cheltenham. And then um, Hungary clashes with the Olympics, just thinking off the top of my head. Mm. And there's, you know, mm. uh, the French Grand Prix clashes with W Series, which is another motorsport series. And Glastonbury. And <laughs> I'm not that exciting. I'm just going to W Series. <laughs> um, so I gave them six races I could do. And then they came not back. Not that I'll and- be at Glastonbury, by the way, just in case my boss is listening. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, Channel 4 came back and said, yeah, we don't really want you to go to USA or Mexico because we don't have any build-up time. Oh, um, yeah. And we don't need you really for Abu Dhabi. Um, so could you go to, and I think I'm now doing like Russia and Spain instead, which right. is absolutely fine. Yeah. But it's, you know, the ones that they wanted me to go to, they said, can you go to Hungary? I was like, no, I can't. Mm. Can you go to France? Mm. No, I can't. I can never do Austria because it clashes with Wimbledon. Mm. So um, there are ones that, you know, I'd love to be in Australia. Obviously, it's a country going through or a continent going through a lot of problems just now. But, um, you know, I've got friends, family there. In the Pink is sponsored by Bose, who've been perfecting the art of sound so that you can listen in unrivaled comfort. The new Bose noise cancelling 700s take it to a whole other level. So you'll always hear exactly what you want no matter where you are. Also, be heard like never before with their unrivaled four microphone system, which isolates your voice whilst cancelling the noise around you. Pretty cool, huh? Always stay connected with Bose's first-of-its-kind augmented reality function that will change the way you think about travel, exercise and learning. And never be caught out because they have an excellent 20 hours of battery life. They come in black and silver, so you can work them around your style, your little fashionistas. And you can treat your ears with the Bose Noise Cancelling 700s. It's a sound experience like no other. Now, back to the interview. 
Now, one question that I always get asked, and I know you're the same, is what it is like to work in a man's world. Yes. And I get, you know, not bored of this question because I understand why people ask it. And then when I step back and I'll give an example. I went with Tag Heuer to the British Fashion Awards mm. and there were 10 people with us in our group. Nine were women and one was a gay man. That was it. And they said, oh yeah, this is the fashion industry. That's it. I was... I loved being around so many women. I was going, God, this is amazing. I'm so energized by these strong women. You know, do you not work with women? I said, you know, really? I don't. Mm. I look around. And I think that is probably why we gravitate towards each other yeah. in the paddock. Because there are so few of us, really, when you think mm. about it. And it's what we've got used to. Um, I think we need other women. I think it's really important that um, we have each other's backs because it's bloody hard enough as it is yeah. in in this industry without not without supporting each other. What have been your experiences of it? And particularly now coming through to the W series, how do you feel it is changing? Well, it's an it's interesting... It's a big old subject, isn't it? Yeah, it <laughs> is a big old subject and it's an interesting one. I've always said from day one that I, certainly in motorsport, don't feel that I have been subjected to anything out of the ordinary but I do close myself off quite a lot and I you know it, I've always been within motorsport less so now but my father's daughter so I think that I'm coming at it from a slightly different mm. perspective what you mean you felt protected by yeah that? exactly mm. um and but I think when I step into different sports I see it as well you, you know it's a funny thing I think that I'm all for more women being involved in any aspect of the workplace if they are good enough. Mm. And I don't think there should be just a blanket, you know, we need to have 14 women on this project. We need to have three women on this project. It, it wouldn't be like that for men. I don't think it should be like that for women. Mm. And I, I really do think that, um, and it doesn't matter, it could be the same for driving, it could be the same for anything. Um, if a female Formula One driver it's going to have such scrutiny on them. Um, they have got to be there for the right reasons. Mm. They've got to be there because they're fast. Otherwise, it will do damage. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a female presenter, a female whatever, mm. journalist. You know, they've got to be there because they're good enough mm. to be there. But likewise, they've got to be considered to be there. You know, it's, they can't just be um, a token gesture, but you have to make it your own. Mm. I mean, I'm probably sure I've been a token gesture, uh, you know, on, on some jobs that I've had when I was starting off. However, you yeah. make it your own. You prove to work. You, you basically I mean, don't give <clears throat> don't give anyone else the excuses to get rid of you yeah. or to criticise you. Yeah, I and mean, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I do think there is something to say for positive discrimination, in as much as until women, young girls watching F1, for example, can see relatable role models. Yeah. And so therefore, you know, again, I do agree with you that you can't just put someone in there for the sake of it. So it is down to the individual to fight their corner and prove their worth. But it's like with politics, until you see people that you can relate to, it's not going to feel accessible. Yeah, and in fact, I think it's an, an Irish rugby slogan or a hashtag that I've seen when I've been covering rugby. They have, a, they basically just says, um, can't see it, can't be it. And I think that's really concise. You know, I've said out loud before, which probably sounds strange as, a w, as the presenter of W series, when it was first mooted to me a couple of years ago, I wasn't particularly for it because there are very few sports where women and men can compete against each other. You know, we mentioned equestrian, that's my mm. background. I'm quite proud that, you know, 
should I have been good enough, um, I would compete against men because mm. it's different. And the other class, you know, there was a class in sailing at the Olympics as well. Um, and that's, I'm not talking about like mixed doubles and tennis, I'm talking about individual sport. Um, so I, before I said yes to W Series, because the, the, this time last year I was still not going to do it. Mm. Um, I went to testing, I went to three days and sat in a truck with Dave Ryan and Al Maria and um, watched the times. I mean, I was an absolute geek. I just sat there watching the times, watching the cars, speaking to the drivers. And I spent a lot of time, you know, I'm friends with Jamie Chadwick and, and people like that. And I spoke to them all and they hadn't been given opportunities. Alice Powell is the perfect example of that. So I was wrong in my judgment of that series. And I think what it did last year was incredibly powerful. And what made me most proud about the series is that the quality of racing was good so if you were a casual viewer and you happened to like turn on channel four or nbc wherever you you were in the world and saw great racing you'd be like oh wow good motor racing then at the end when the driver comes into park Fermi, takes off the helmet and it's a girl you know from Liechtenstein with hair down past her bum you'd be like oh my goodness what have i just seen so the quality of the sport particularly in in motor racing which is a faceless sport yeah you know you shouldn't really be able to determine who is behind the wheel mm. and that's what made me most pleased about w series <laughs> wilf has just walked in my four-year-old son has just opened hi. the door hi wilfie you okay bye wilfie oh he's we've already he's been listening at the door and he's bored rigid he's like what are these two girls it's, talking about god they won't stop talking <laughs> so yeah w series is a, is a perfect example then of not positive di discrimination as such, but an opportunity to grow female talent as a launch pad. And yeah, that, that was, that was it was begging for it, wasn't it? Absolutely. And as I say, my initial judgment about it all was, was wrong. And um, th the fact is, though, that any of these drivers will still have to go and prove themselves against men, mm. whether it be this season, next season, in the future. So Jamie Chadwick, who won it last year, is an Aston Martin uh, sports car driver, uh, is a you know, test driver for Williams as well. But she is in Dubai this weekend competing. Now, that's mm. not in a women's motorsport series. That is in a normal motorsport series and she will have to go out there and compete against uh, guys and then then she can sort of like prove herself but I think what she's achieved um, and the way she's achieved it, it is fantastic mm. and Veitska Visser as well a BMW driver from the Netherlands you know a really gritty driver. Mm. Um, Jamie's done this podcast actually and one of the things she said was I just needed more track time yeah. and the W Series afforded me that yeah. which is great. What about your own experiences then in the paddock because um uh, you know, I remember like casting my mind back to being the pit lane reporter for Five Live. It was quite good in a way because I was kind of under the radar. I could come in. I didn't really know anybody. I remember being so nervous. And one of the first things you said to me was, um, Silverstone. I said, what about it? She said, you'll be fine by Silverstone. I went, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Silverstone feels <laughs> like I a lifetime that? away. But you were so right. Suddenly, and that would have been what? six eight races yeah in, I suddenly it something suddenly clicked for me but before that it just felt like this absolute assault of the senses I was mm. overwhelmed by it there was like a thousand new faces because you can be a fan of the sport but you have no idea of yeah. the depth the personnel that you've got to know understand and understand how the system works but incredible experience but daunting and I remember being 
absolutely knackered every race weekend. I'd come home to my little flat, my, my, who wasn't my husband then, Owen was my boyfriend, and I used to just cry. <laughs> I go, I go, oh my God, you're doing a dream job and you're just crying. I'm yeah. like, but I'm so tired. You know, it is full on, isn't it? It is, and also people uh, take for granted, it sounds a strange thing, but noise is very tiring. Yeah. And when you have you know, earpieces in or headphones in and you're getting five different voices and, you know, the gallery projected into your ears. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Add in the presenters and you've turned everything up. I mean, I haven't passed a hearing test since like year one at the BBC. Oh I thought God. I was going to get put on like snooker or something where nobody really spoke. Um, but and this is, of course, pre-hybrid. So exactly. it was even louder. So it was yeah. even louder. And I always remember Jensen Button saying that when, in, when the hybrids came in and everyone was like, oh, these hybrids, you know, what is this? He said in his first race after the Australian Grand Prix that it was the first time that he hadn't had a splitting headache. And when you're in the pet lane for that length of time as well, you're just like, you know, people say, what do you do when you get on the plane? Do you listen to anything? I'm like, I don't want to listen to anything. Mm -hmm. When I when I leave that Formula One track, I just want to sit in silence for as long as possible. The Bose headphones go on. Yeah, (laughs) noise (laughs) cancelling. It's interesting, though, because I remember being pregnant just before the hybrid era came in. And I remember like walking over the bridge in Hungary and um, my my ribs rattling and it's so funny because when Wolf was born it you know from a what literally from birth if the F1 came on telly he would just look at it it was he's like, a nervous he this, wreck yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but it was it had a strangely calming influence really? on him he just became sort of transfixed by what was going on on the telly because of the noise yeah so I do get the purists that Heart back to that golden era, but it does sound bloody good. hell. But it does sound yeah, good. Yeah, but it's when hard you, to when, work in. It's though. hard to work in, but when you get, like, Japan do it really well. They have all those historic Formula One cars and things on track. When you hear them fire up, you know, everyone's up at the window. Everyone leaves the garage up against the track, you know, against the sort of catch fence because... 
it gets your attention. You know, it is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's not the easiest conditions to work in, but my God, it sounds good. Now, in terms of the current grid and actually previous grids, um, they will say you're not allowed favourites, but we all do. <laughs> we all do. Who did you always look forward, do you look forward to talking to? Is there anybody, be honest, because I, I'll tell you mine, is there anybody that you were a bit nervous about talking to? I'll start off with the good points. Okay. Um, I loved interviewing Michael Schumacher um, and I got on well with Michael, I think. And I took a horse over to oh, Switzerland yes. to his ranch and take yeah. part and stuff and, you know, stayed over there and um, his kids and his wife. And um, I, I liked Michael, you know, to interview because he was honest and he'd mm. come up with great lines like, you know, I think I've just made you famous. And I'm like, okay, thank you for that. When he answered something which then got put, put in all the newspapers and all the rest of it. And I was like, uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. But you probably also had that extra bond because of the horses. Yeah, I think so. But um, I think he was someone that didn't suffer fools gladly. Mm. And um, I get the same, I have the same with Sebastian. Mm. You know, Sebastian and I have had some ridiculous interviews where he's like gone to give out my phone number on TV and everybody knows them. There was a time where every interview I was doing with him was getting into the papers oh for probably God. all the wrong reasons. Uh. Um, but I get on very well with Sebastian, but I can be very honest um, in a question with him because I know that he is actually clever enough to handle it. Mm. You know, I think I would ask the same question to every single driver differently because you know, um, you know how what Lewis would need in a question, you know what Daniel will need in a question, you know what Seb will need, for example, those mm. three. Um, so you would ask the same question, but in a different way for each driver. Mm. Some drivers, you might have to go in with a slight ego massage before you get to the hard one, mm. but um, it, it's all about knowing who you're talking to. Mm. No, I totally agree. Um, the only thing I would, uh, as a sort of caveat for that, is that when the race is just finished and they're all piling into the pen yeah. and you're scrabbling around through your notes and trying to remember and actually you've got to if 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 the FOM director hasn't focused on a certain person's race and they walk towards you and stand in front of you thinking i haven't got yeah. an effing clue what's drivers, just happened in you your can't race say, you can't say to them actually uh <laughs> we didn't see you at all no in 72 laps we haven't seen you once yeah must try harder but you must you've got to, got to go so how would you sum up your race yeah there's a, a lot, generic. there's a generic one and then sometimes they say something like well it was uh you know it was all going well till i got the puncture in lap 23 or you know i was hit by the hass or something i think we didn't see it yeah you know sometimes you know perception of a race is actually a director's perception of a race mm. until you get like you know on the monday afternoon replays suddenly pop up all over social media and then you ended up getting trolled because you didn't ask the right <laughs> question yeah uh, but it's, it's, it is hot i mean you know and and lewis can be the trickiest in this respect because on the one hand sometimes he'll come in and he will be in that mood where whatever you say he will say nah I disagree and so sometimes you just want to go come on just just here's the microphone you speak but we are the we are the conduit for him to his fans yeah. so he you know he knows that he needs us to speak to them and um, we obviously need him because we need his interview because you know particularly for the British audience he's the most important driver so what little tips, and I'm definitely going to write these down, do you have for interviewing Lewis? Because well, Lewis actually, I find him, I find him um, so warm sometimes and just yeah. so giving and he wears his heart on his sleeve. And when he is grumpy and something does go wrong, he does get a lot of abuse on social media saying, come on, don't sulk. 
Um, because I never forget, in contrast to that, when Daniel crashed out of a race, I said to him, oh, you know, God, you must be pretty devastated by today. He goes, my bad day is still anyone else's great day. And yeah. I thought, how lovely, you know, what a, what an amazing sort of spin to put on a situation when it's just happened. But Lewis, you have to respect that he actually just tells you as it is. And when he's pissed off, he tells you. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, from when Lewis came into Formula One in 2008, was it 2008? 2007, sorry. Seven, yeah. Um, that to where he is now, he is a completely different mm. person. He's matured an awful lot. How he used to answer questions and what he went through, uh, say, 09 at McLaren when... Um, in the sort of, you know, the, the named lie gate and things like that. You know, he's been through an awful lot in his career. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's not all been a bed of roses. I did that interview, um, which ended up on the front page of every newspaper with Lewis in Monaco when he when I asked him about why he thought he was so magnetic to the stewards after one Monaco Grand Prix. And he said, maybe it's because I'm black. And I... It's not, I mean, that's a good example of um, Lewis fans absolutely hated me. I mean, I received death threats and Formula One fans then hated Lewis because he was bringing the sport into disrepute and all the rest of it. Um, and I sent an email to Anthony, his father, and, you know, to sort of just explain why I asked that question, mm. just in case Lewis, I didn't apologise for it because that's my job. Mm. Uh, and then the next race was Canada and everybody was filming me as Lewis walked up to me, which was really bizarre. Uh, and then he just gave me a big hug and we cleared the air and we moved mm. straight on. Mm. But, you know, I wouldn't do any of that differently. I would still ask him the question and then I would still keep going uh, and, and ask that question. And then it's up to a press officer or somebody to pull him out or for him to walk mm. away. So I wouldn't change that now. I mean, Lewis, I think, is actually fine. Sometimes you can interview him and you'll be you'll say, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but you know, you're third on the grid. I know you always want to be first, so you always give him that little thing. And then he'll be like, best lap I could ever have done. And you're like, what? Okay, that just blows you away. Um, and yet sometimes you can say to him like, you know, that you never suggest it was the perfect lap because the driver never has a perfect lap mm. in them, so, or they have the perfect lap in them, but they never achieve it. Um, and again, he doesn't suffer fools gladly either. But I do think how he interviews, I've, I've seen him with uh, how he speaks to the German press and other press, and he's certainly much more trusting with the Brits, I mm. would say. So I think... Well, hopefully um, he feels that we've got his backs because, um, you know, I remember saying to him once in uh, Brazil, maybe like five years ago, mm. um, you know, we're on your side and actually I hope you know that and he's and he agreed that we were that he probably doesn't feel that the wider press is because yeah. he definitely well I, I'm going to ask you do you do you think he gets a bad rap because you know this is arguably the country's most successful sports person of all time he's not knighted mm. he barely he doesn't win Sports Personality of the Year. He gets a lot of negative press. This should be someone we're immensely proud of when you, when you consider his humble beginnings. And the, his work ethic is unbelievable. And his talent is obviously, I mean, incomparable in many ways. Yeah, and it's funny because I think that it's um, not... I, I don't necessarily know if it's coming from the press. You know, when he goes to Sports Personality or doesn't go to Sports Personality, you can't blame the BBC for that. But mm. I think that people don't... Um, necessarily associate with his life choices you know I think Jensen was so always can't seen relate to him. yeah they can't relate to him Jensen mm. was the guy that you would like you know meet in a pub in London yeah. or would 
run the London Marathon and then be in a pub after, you know, for a lunch and a, a boozy lunch when he's just done 250 in the London Marathon or something. Yeah. You know, Lewis wouldn't be. He'll be on a plane and he'll go to the Met Gala and he'll do all these fabulous things. And I actually think that if it wasn't for somebody like Toto Wolff and Mercedes allowing him to live like that, then maybe he wouldn't be in Formula One now. It's the Mm -hmm. fact that he can do all these things together and it does not affect his life. No, if anything, it enhances his performance. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it would be one thing if he wasn't turning up at the racetrack and, Mm -hmm. and dominating, but he is. And you can't criticise them for that. So, you know, I think it's more, it's maybe more a, a, a relatable situation as opposed to, you know, the, getting a bad rap. I, I don't know. Do you know, um, once, um, I don't know why I suddenly thought of this, but uh, you're just talking about Seb. And once Seb came towards me <clears throat> in the pen and I was pregnant and hormonal and a bit teary. Oh God, I was a bit teary. And he walked towards me and I think he thought it was being funny, but he went, came up to me and went, oh no, I'll come to you later. And the trouble is I had my director in my ear going, we need Seb now, we need Seb now, we're live. And I just burst into tears. <laughs> and he turned around and he went, oh my, oh my God, what? I went, well, I'm pregnant. I just, you know what, I don't really want to be here. And I'm just, and he went, oh my God. I just like, I felt a, such a twat afterwards. But um, I think sometimes they need to remember that you're human as well, yeah. and that you're just doing your job and you're, you're, you're trying to ask the questions that those back at home sitting on their sofa would, would want to be asked. But people always ask me, you know, are they big egos? Have they got... And genuinely, I know you'll agree with this, I don't see any egos. I mean, okay, occasionally they have the little moments where the toys come out the pram. But, but really, as a general rule, because it is such a big team sport... And there's yeah. so many people behind them and so many That's people have a crucial, you know, they can't, they can't be prima donnas. No, I, I always get asked this as well. And I, I think, you know, Formula One drivers are paid an awful lot of money on the whole, um, but there's so much risk involved as well. I have mm. no problem with that when you compare it to something like football. And, and there are only 20 of them. Exactly. You consider how many Premier League footballers there are. Exactly. So when I do something like Wimbledon, and to me tennis players are fascinating, because I think any individual um, sportsman or woman is fascinating, because they go out there, it's kind of gladiatorial, um, and, you know, they are megastars in that world. Formula One drivers are megastars in that world, but to me they're a lot more humble. Um, I think because it's that team environment they have to be accountable whereas you know individual sports people don't really have to be accountable you know they do have other people with them they do have coaches they do have snc and all these people around them but it's a very different thing Mm. um so you know i i think that part of the the sort of humble attitude is because of the inherent risk that you get in motorsport and I think the other part is because it is very much a team sport. Yeah, no, it's a really good point and I just add to that the fact that Bar Lewis and, and perhaps Sebastian to a slightly lesser extent once the hoodie goes on and they're walking through the airport most of them don't even get recognized. Yeah, I think it's funny. I mean there are countries that you go to and you know that there's going to be masses mm. of people. But they can just sort of stick a hat on, mm. a hoodie on, and, and shuffle off into the distance. Although, yeah, well, I was going to say, Daniel definitely has seen a massive rise in, uh, perhaps dipping slightly this year with Renault because he's not getting the podiums and the wins. Mm. So his, his face is not on the front of the papers in the same way. But, but it, you go further back the grid, 
they're not household names the same way, and yet they are still in the top 20 drivers oh. in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a strange thing that people don't really uh, realise that, that you'll be like, oh, who is this person? Well, he's actually a, you know, a British Formula One driver. Oh, right, is he good? And you think, <laughs> uh, yeah, he is actually. You know, and it can be any, any whether it be, you know, George Russell or, or Lando mm. or uh, anyone who's actually pushed hard. I always think that with that, you know, these drivers on the whole are there for a reason. So I think sometimes you forget that, uh, you know, a Kevin Magnussen, for example, was an excellent, um, you know, one Euro F3, uh, one Renault uh, World Series, um, you know, was the next big thing. He's earned his place. He's earned his place. Mm -hmm. Now you think his last pole position or something was probably about nine years ago. It was Australian, wasn't it? No, hang on. Oh, I see. Sorry, when he was on the podium in Australia, I thought that's what you were saying. Yeah, no, but his last pole position would have been um, when he was, you know, in a junior category. Yeah, yeah. Um, But these people are all in a series, or in Formula One, sorry, because they have, you Mm. know, won the junior series. No matter what you think of, uh, you know, perceived paid drivers, they've all been good enough to get to that point. Mm. Along with Bose, In The Pink is sponsored by Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Excellence, precision and elegance. Their timepieces are designed for those who love challenges, which is a great fit for this podcast because most of the guests share that sentiment. Okay, so looking forward to 2020. We are in 2020. Bloody hell, can't believe it. Um, It's coming around pretty quickly. Testing will be here before we know it. I know, yeah. Who um, most excites you? Obviously, Max is now locked in Red Bull till 2023. Charles Leclerc has done the same with with Ferrari, which is is great, really. Kind of sets up the stall a bit, doesn't it? Um, What do you think we can be most excited about this year? Other than seeing each other in the paddock. This year is a funny one because it is the last year before the big reg changes. Mm. So... How much will actually change this year? Because surely everybody has got their 2021 heads on. Mm. Is it a kind of lost year? I'm not trying to put anybody off, but I don't see why the norm would change in 2020 because I think that everybody is geared up for this massive set of rule changes which is coming in in 2021 where I think that, you know, Red Bull will be absolutely on it. Um, And I'm really excited though to see how the Max and Charles battle goes because mm. they are the future of the sport. You know, will this be Sebastian's last year? It sounds uh, from, if you believe what you read in the newspapers and, and also from Ferrari, it sounds like it could mm. be. Um, so there is going to be a bit of a changing of the guard. Um, but, you know, Seb and Charles have got to get through another season at Ferrari <laughs> to get to that last race, possibly in Abu Dhabi, because that is going to be fireworks. Um, I don't know about you, but I saw a real shift in Charles in, in Austria when Max yeah. did the overtake. You kind of felt like he was like, OK, I can get my elbows out now as well. You know, I don't have to play in this Mr. Nice Guy so much anymore. And you, and you saw him really step up. And I really feel for 2020 that we're going to build on that rivalry, which I think the fans will love. Yeah, and that that is the future. Mm. You know, that's what excites me most, that, um, you know, Formula One is quite a brutal sport in a way that you get, like, you know, you stand there at the end of a season and you're getting all emotional and you're interviewing Felipe Massa and Fernando Alonso. What was your biggest highlight? And you've brought so much to the sport. And, you know, you sort of have these conversations like the sport's not going to be able to continue with them. Without being disrespectful... You know, how many times were they really mentioned last year? Mm. 
probably not that many because it moves on. You know, if I left tomorrow, I'll never be mentioned ever again. If anyone Stop mentions it. again, no, but it's true though. I'll I mean, the sport you. goes so quickly. I'll miss you. The, the sport goes so quickly. Do you think we'll still be there with like, Zimmer frames down the pit lane? Absolutely, going, but they'll be electric. <laughs> and they won't make a noise, so I'll definitely get run over in the pit lane. Um, yeah, Girls, I just give it up, move on, exactly. make way for the younger models. I think it's. What excites me is some new races on the calendar as well. Mm. You know, there's going to be Vietnam, uh, Zandvoort, which I know they're doing a lot of rebuilding at. Zandvoort's a track that I've been to uh, many times and it is fantastic and Tarzan Corner and things. I hope they don't all uh, change too much of it. But to be honest, to to get Formula One there, you're going to have to do uh, some considerable work to it. But, you know, I do think for anyone, I'm sadly not going to that race because I'm presenting rugby that weekend. But I do think for anyone going to that race, you probably don't want to book a flight back until about the Tuesday because the traffic and fans will be so intense. I mean, I've missed flights back from, you know, the the Euro, the F3 Masters from there and things and that's like an F3 weekend and it's fantastic but you know you're not getting a flight back for a day do you remember when we got stuck and it was absolutely tonking down with rain in Germany oh god I mean we, we've was... had some near misses I mean, getting to the airport and holding yeah. up planes and all sorts it's just I suppose it's yeah, nature of the beast, isn't it? I got it? stuck in China for a week with the ash cloud. Remember oh my the Icelandic ash? I got on a plane. I didn't really know. I got the. I got a, basically a seat on a Lufthansa and got out in Frankfurt. But I think it was meant to go to Munich or something. There was some confusion about that as well. And then I asked Norbert Haug if there was any spare cars. And I, we no, got. We basically did an ash cloud Grand Prix and drove from Frankfurt to. I did my last year of um, uni for Daimler-Benz in Stuttgart. So we got in this car, then we zoomed up to Calais and then we got the boat and then we got back. I think we were like the first ones back from that mammoth task. Wow. So you won it. So, top of the podium. So top Love of the, it. First no, time and last no. time ever. Is there, I mean, you just made me think of places like South Korea, Mokpo, oh, some of the memories of those places. I remember going to China and thinking... It's weird. China's weird because you fly in and Shanghai is incredible. But where the race is, isn't in Shanghai. No. So you kind of go out. And we used to stay in this hotel next to um, a slaughterhouse, which as a vegetarian is slightly problematic. Um, And I remember my underwear going missing. So (laughs) I swear to God, this is a true story. And I remember putting all, because we'd come, it was a back-to-back, and so we had come from somewhere else, probably Japan. Would it, what, would it have been Japan? Uh, Japan Australia, maybe. or No, but this was... China. Was it Malaysia? No, no, no. Hang oh, on. yeah, it could have been. Would it it would Malaysia? always be Australia, Malaysia, China. That's it. So it had come from Malaysia. So all my laundry needed doing. Mm. So I put it all in, in the Chinese hotel, and it all came back, bar the underwear. And then the next thing I know... Crofty guys... was wearing it. Ah, can you imagine? <laughs> no, the next thing I know, the, the, the star from the hotel had turned up at my door with a bottle of wine. And oh, he God. goes to me, um, we're really sorry about your underwear. And I said, right, can I, can I have it back? And he went, no, I'm afraid not. It's gone forever. I said, what do you, what do you mean? Anyway, went downstairs explaining this to the likes of Crofty and Ted. And they went, oh, you don't know about the... Uh, the underwear trick. And I went, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happens all the time. And then I went into the paddock and I spoke to a number of girls in the paddock who said they nick the underwear and then they they put it in those, like, freezer bags and they sell it in vending machines. Oh, yeah. Have you heard I, about this? I've, I didn't know it happened at hotels, but yeah, I have. Knows. I know there are machines like that. 
I mean, that is so gross. And then he goes to me, but we're prepared to give you a budget to go and buy some more and we'll happily come out and buy it with you. And I went, I'm okay, thanks, mate. I can, I can buy my own oh underwear. My God. It was so weird. And then the other weird experience of China. And I'm possibly going back to the Chinese Grand Prix this year. So please, Chinese friends, still welcome <laughs> me. Chinese super fans are amazing. Chinese fans are a fab. They are incredible. They're really good. Was that I... I always work out in whichever language, whichever country I'm in, how to say I'm a vegetarian. Mm. And I worked this out in Chinese and I put it up on my screen and would hold this up. And I've got this massive big sort of broth arrived and I started troweling it in. I was like, oh, tastes all right. Tastes slightly <laughs> odd. Anyway, eventually worked out that it was pork, but it was pork. It was a pig that only ate vegetables. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. That's fine. I don't know what you're getting all fussy about. (laughs) Good bit of protein for me. Um, So are there any races that you miss? Do you miss South Korea? Uh, No, not in the slightest. (laughs) Um, Sorry to our South Korean friends. I know. I I don't miss it because there wasn't the fan base in Mokpo. If it was near Seoul or something, fair enough. But Mokpo, you did not get the fan base. It was like a five-hour train journey. Exactly. and I, I actually got the boat once from Japan. I convinced people at the BBC, wouldn't it be a great adventure if we got the boat um, from Japan and we would go over to, to Busan in South Korea. It was horrific. No, Why? What happened? Well, nobody spoke to me afterwards. It was about three <laughs> times longer. It basically said, and I've got a photo of it on my phone, that there might be emergency stops for pods of whales. It was like an ancient boat. I mean, it was the kind of thing that you would see having sank on the news and when you were watching it and feeling sympathetic you think but who which idiot in their right mind would have gone on that in the first place <laughs> I took the whole of the BBC on it everyone hated me the so, exactly um, so Mokpo I don't miss um, where else have come and gone oh, I can't think of ones that I we've lost wait. off the calendar too we much we nearly lost Barcelona that would have been weird actually to lose that and then I think suddenly it's a shame we've lost up. Germany actually yeah. you know I think yeah, that, you, yeah, know, yeah. We're, you lose races it was our best race you, this year where you get great Last fans year. you know yeah. it's always, the past couple of years have been so exciting you Malaysia get, we've lost Malaysia oh Malaysia I, I do miss that one because I think that was an excellent racetrack I mm. think if anything it was held um, mind you anytime I've been I've been to that racetrack for other series as well and it, always always pouring but they, mm. you know they held it every year in the monsoon season mm. what would they think what did they expect I know they tried to put it towards the end of the season for a while as well but I do think you always got exciting races in Malaysia mm. and I think it was one of the you know, it was probably the best um, Tilka track as well it was the first and you know I really liked it I liked the people I liked the fans mm. I liked the I mean I love the country anyway yeah but you know it was a shame to lose that one yeah. okay well look I mean god we've been talking for nearly an hour you know Are that we? yeah Oh, God, I'm sorry to anyone listening. Why are you apologising? This is basically just a little snapshot into our lives. Yeah, exactly. There would normally be a very large glass of wine next to both of us. and said we've got a cup of tea. We've gone tea. Um, but, you know, I'm sure we will continue this when, when the machine isn't recording and probably just tell a few slightly naughtier stories. But <laughs> perhaps we need the wine in order that to open up. That part two. Yeah, OK. <laughs> Lee McKenzie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you As always, it's, I can't believe I'm calling you your full name. Yeah, uh, Ling Ling, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way, is a nickname created by Ted, Ted Kravitz. Kravitz. He's but it's got a lot to answer for, doesn't he? <laughs> Thank you, darling. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. That was a lovely chat. And as you could probably tell, we would have talked for hours had it not been for the fact that the clock was ticking on up. I mean, it was like, what, an hour of chatting? Could have easily been three. 
because one story just leads you to another and another and another. But anyway, lovely to spend some time together out of season. And actually, even at races, we don't get that much time to hang out because we've obviously got different agendas and schedules. So it's lovely to see Lee. And thank you for coming to my home and um, nestling in for a little chat. So um, plenty more podcasts on the way, but don't forget in the meantime, you can win those Bose noise cancelling headphones and Premier League tickets. Thanks to Tag Heuer. All you have to do is leave us a message under any of the posts on Instagram, either on my personal page. Actually, it's probably easier just to put it all on the podcast page. That's in the pink. It's actually at underscore the underscore pink complicated but anyway leave us some messages tell us which guest you've liked so far and why and the comments that really get our attention will be the winning ones the ones that walk away premier league tickets and headphones thank you so much for your company i look forward to seeing you again soon or at least speaking or you know what i mean bye for now Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.